Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. On today's program, we'll continue our look at intercession and see how it starts with fellowship with God, knowing His heart and His will so we can partner with Him through prayer. Part two of Cheryl's message titled, The Power of Intercession. Abraham spreads a banquet out before the divine company. And the banquet includes bread and milk and butter and meat. So we see that Abraham is not kosher. Just saying. Or kosher in what has come to be. I believe he is the original kosher. So we have to ask ourselves, are we excited to meet with the Lord? When it comes to a time of prayer, we're like, well, I guess I've got to pray. Have you ever been with people like, well, we should pray? Well, you know, the Lord didn't work, so now I'm going to pray. Instead of running to meet the Lord, bringing our best to him, making our time of prayer a feast with the Lord, You see, intercession is not meant to be starvation. It is meant to be a feast. It is meant to be a fellowship. It is meant to be a conversation and a covenant time. Lord, we're in this together. Next, the perception that we receive through intercession. Genesis 18, 9 through 21. It is intercession where we realize that God thoroughly knows us. As we begin to pray for others, we realize that God knows our doubts, our inner thoughts, that he thoroughly sees us. We cannot hide behind tent walls and we cannot hide our thoughts from him. I love that Sarah thinks that she can hide behind the tent curtain and just listen to Jesus or God. I believe this is a Christology, um, an appearance of Jesus, the Messiah in the Old Testament. Because the Bible says, no man has seen the Father at any time, but the, he that is the begotten of God. So they're seeing perhaps this meeting with Jesus. And Sarah tries to hide and just eavesdrop. And God reveals his plan for Abraham and Sarah. Sarah would have a child within a year. And Sarah laughs in her heart. Wouldn't you? (laughs) The idea of having a child at my age, in my old age, I think she's laughing at the whole concept, the whole idea. Um, It's not only ridiculous, but maybe she got a mental picture of what it would look like. Uh, years ago, I, I, 
I was in Ensenada and they did a Bible, let me see how I can say this, biblical woman fashion show. And so they had this woman come out in like this nude colored leotard with vines all over her and she was Eve. She walked across the stage. Each woman took about five minutes. There, back, then around the stage, then off the stage, but she came back. And then there's Sarah. And I think they got the oldest woman in their fellowship. And I hope that was a pillow. Just saying, it, you know, it was so cute because she kept modeling her stomach, you know, like Vanna White with the, you know, the letters. She was like, modeling. Isaac. I, I wonder if Sarah got just a mental picture, like what would that look like? to see a, a pregnant 90-year-old. What would that look like? And she begins to laugh. And God calls her out. Why did Sarah laugh? And you know, Abraham's like, she laughed? I didn't hear anything. And Sarah's like, I didn't laugh, thinking that that was inside, not outside. But I love this because it becomes an inside joke between God Sarah and Abraham, when God says, name him laughter. Name him Isaac, so you'll always remember the improbable, the impossible, but that God came through. Remember your thoughts about it. I love that God, he's aware of the absurdity of some of his work. He knows it. Sometimes he gives us a promise and you're like, really? Did I hear that right? And God's like, yeah, name it Isaac. It might seem absurd, but I'm going to do it. So God is reminding Abraham and Sarah of how improbable it was, reminding them of their reaction, sharing the inside story with them. It is also an intercession that God reveals his power, the perception of his power. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? There are no impossibilities with God. Often, our intercession is for the salvation of someone who is seemingly so far from the Lord. But in Matthew 19, 26, talking about the salvation of men, Jesus says, with men, this is impossible. No man can save himself. It's absolutely impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In intercession, when we're praying for the lost, we're saying, all things are possible. I think it's last week, but I can't remember who I am or where I've been, that I said, who would have imagined that Paul the apostle will get saved? I don't think he was on anyone's most likely to be saved list. I think he was like on the least likely to be saved list. I used to have a least likely to be saved list. You know, like these we pray with confidence. These we pray for with like, like a Hail Mary. Like just throw that football up in the air, see if anyone catches it. Just maybe one of these lost people will catch it. And I remember one of the women, I mean, if she saw me, she, she made naughty gestures at me. She lived down the street from me. And I mean, this woman like hated me passionately because her daughter was saved in a good friend of mine. And this woman just hated me, blamed me for everything. I was worse than George Bush. I got blamed for everything. And I remember 
uh, going to the market, we had moved, and I went to the market, and there she was. And you know that like aisle that you're like, how do I turn around? I hope she didn't see me, but she turned, she sees me, and she goes, oh, and I thought, oh, she's had a stroke. <laughs> Poor thing. Or she thinks I'm somebody else. You know, what color is my hair today? I was just trying to remember, and she kept blowing kisses. And she said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I was like, great, I need tomato sauce on another aisle. And I, I left. I saw her daughter about, I don't know, a month later. I said, you know what, this sounds really weird, but I was, you know, at the market. Your mother was there and she was blowing me kisses. Is she okay? And she said, um, she's more than okay, she was born again. And I said, oh no, I have to transfer her. She has to go to another list. I seriously was just like, you know, it was, you know, funny enough, you know, we have the term Hail Mary here, right? And it means to throw the football um, when you've got like 10 seconds left in the game and you really need a touchdown. And the quarterback just, he just throws it high and as far as he can and just prays that one of his team members catches it. So that's a term, Hail Mary. So we're in Ireland and my son Chara is preaching and teaching and I'm just so proud of him. And then he says, you know, it's like throwing a Hail Mary. You should have seen those Irish people. Throwing a Hail Mary, who you do? What is it? It was so fun. I'm just looking at the quizzical looks, like, who would throw Mary, you know? <laughs> just an American. There is no condemnation. But honesty, I know you laughed. I'm not condemning you over the laughter. I know the absurdity. I'm laughing with you. Grace in the name of Isaac. It is in intercession that God reveals his power. There's nothing too hard. Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then Hebrews 7, 25, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Don't you just love that word uttermost? Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him. He's able to completely save every iota. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he ever lives to make intercession for them. It is in intercession, these times of fellowship and conversation, that we learn the true nature of God. We learn that he's not willing that any should perish. We realize that he's not quick to judgment and destruction. We realize that he does not afflict Willingly, Lamentations 3.33. We learn that judgment is his last resort, Isaiah 28.21. We learn that he is slow to anger, Exodus 34, and abounding in loving kindness. God is absolutely righteous and would not destroy and does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Now on earth, living under this sun in this broken world, we see that the righteous often suffer alongside the wicked. But when God is judging, the wicked are judged and the righteous are spared. We see such mercy with God that even for the sake of 10 righteous, he would spare 
a wicked city. I think of 1 Corinthians 7.14, where God says that the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the presence of a believing wife in a house. I mean, that's amazing that God is actually sparing the unbelieving husband. He's looking out. He's working extra time on that unbelieving husband because of that believing wife. But conversely, the believing husband, God is working extra time on that believing, on that unbelieving wife. It is through intercession that we learn the plans of God, the plans of God for ourselves, the plans of God for others, and the plans of God for the world. As we meet with God, God reveals to us what he is going to do. Abraham was told again that he would become a great and mighty nation, that nations would be blessed in him. Abraham was told again of the purpose of his call, that he was to set an example for his children. But Abraham was also informed about others, the evil in Sodom, God's plan to investigate and God's plan to judge. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And here is God's plan for the world. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. When did this revelation come? Where is the clarity of this revelation? It's in intercession. Thirdly, intercession brings predictivity to our fears, concerns, sorrows, and grief. Abraham isn't wringing his hands over the revelation of God. Instead, he talks to God about these plans. We can either stress, which is havoc on our body, and leads to doubt and depression, or trying to fix it to ourselves, which is often counterproductive and ruinous, or we can pray and sow spiritual seeds that will bring a great harvest. In Psalm 126, verse 5, it says, those who sow in tears will doubtless reap in joy, bringing their sheaves or the harvest of those tears, those seedling tears with them. If we take our grief, our burdens, our sorrows, our angst, our pain, our perplexity to God in prayer, we make it seeds. We bring productivity to deadness. We bring fertilizer to the seeds and God will bring a harvest of joy. I was going through a particularly hard time when I happened on a sermon by Tim Keller, which I have listened to over 15 times. And I go back to it. And it's called Pray Your Fears. You can find it on YouTube. I highly recommend listening to it at least five times. It is so good. But he talks about bringing productivity to our fears. You know, we can make fears productive if we pray our fears. We can make sorrow productive if we pray our sorrow. If we bring it to God, we can make our burdens productive if we pray our burdens. We can transform them. They can become seeds for a harvest of joy if we 
pray them. And you know what's interesting? It's a harvest that keeps bearing fruit. It's a harvest that first that person gets saved, but then the other prayers start coming in and the other prayers start coming in the prayers. You know, don't stop at praying just for their salvation. Intercede. You don't stand on the promise of God and say, and when, and when they are saved, and when they are in the land, Lord, I want to get really even. Make them a preacher. Make them an evangelist. Make them a missionary. You know, get even. Get even with that child for putting you through that. God can bring productivity to even our fear and our sorrow if we take it to God. Fourthly, intercession we process with God. Genesis 18, 22 through 23. Left alone with God as the angelic men travel onto Sodom, Abraham begins negotiations with God. Now, God's not going, uh, stop it. Don't you ask me any questions. I think we have the wrong assumption that we can't ask God questions. And I've heard people like, never ask God why. I ask God why all the time. Why? Why? Now, like a wise parent, he doesn't always answer. But sometimes he does. Sometimes he takes me up and he gives me a heavenly perspective and says, Cheryl, this is why this is necessary, what you're going through. There is an answer. And I, I believe that when we read the Bible, we should come and ask, why, what, how? Those are good questions if we expect the answer to come from God. Not from earth, but from God. Abraham is seeking through these negotiations to know what is God looking for. When the men go to Sodom, what will make the difference to God? What makes the difference? What amount of righteousness? How many do there need to be to make a difference? You know, how many men does it take to change a light bulb? How many men does it it take to spare a city? How many righteous men? That's where the joke first originated, you know? How many righteous in Sodom are needed? to save a city. How many pastors are needed to change a light bulb? How many righteous people are needed to save a city? He starts at 50 and he ends at 10. Now, I think that Sodom was a city that Abraham had an investment in. Think about it. He had taken his trained servants at one point and he had saved this city. He had exerted energy and time and sacrificed his servants. He knew the king of Sodom. He had fought for the residents. He had restored the fortunes of the people living there. Abraham had seen these people in the best of circumstances as far as the men of Sodom were concerned. He saw them conquered, broken, desperate people. He saw them in the light of day. However, these people, once secure again and feeling safe, had turned back to deplorable behavior. But that behavior was only seen once the sun 
went down. A cursory look at Sodom during the day, you wouldn't see it, but what God saw. Abraham's conversation with God, again, begins with the proposition of 50 righteous, going from 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. It's a process. It's a process. As women, we tend to process as we are talking. I think that's why we have to talk so much and why we have more words than men. They kind of sometimes skip the process. They go A to Z. We go A, B, A, D, B, C, A. We are trying to understand ourselves. We are trying to make sense of our circumstances. We are trying to understand others. And we are trying to find out what our place and attitude are to be. This is why we have to talk. Um, I've told you this before, but I was recently on the phone with my oldest daughter. She called me up and she says, Mom, this is what I'm, in fact, this is what she said. Mom, do you have WhatsApp? I get a text. No, get it. I need to talk to you. So I download WhatsApp and she calls me. And, you know, actually we're looking at each other. And she says, Mom, this is the situation. Mom, you know, here are the promises of God. Mom. And I kept trying to get a word in edgewise. I really did. But she was doing all the talking. And by the end of the conversation, she said, thank you, Mom, so much. You always help me. And I realized that my daughter is a psalmist. You know, because that's what the Psalms are, aren't they? The psalmist is processing. He starts out with this huge dilemma. How long, O oh Lord? What's going on? Will my enemy always have the upper hand? And by the end of the psalm, he's like, uh-uh. God, you're on the throne. I know you're at work even in this. It's a process. But we need to process I think too many times people are telling you, skip the process. Don't skip the process. As women, we have to process. You have to process. You have to know the steps. You know, when your husband looks at you and he says, don't cry, and you're crying, does that help? Or do you say, oh, thank you. You spoke, and now happiness, automatic, at your world. You know, I always tell Brian, will you let me do this? I'm in a process. I'm working through this. But we need to process. And intercession is a time for processing. But we're processing with God. Which, again, that's where the productivity is. As we process. Through this process, we come to understand and see ourselves, others, circumstances in the light of who God is. God's value system. That's what we see. It changes how we think. I love Psalm 73. It's one of the greatest examples of processing the dilemma, the circumstance with God. Asaph comes into this going, Lord, all I see is that the wicked are prospering and the righteous uh, seem to get nowhere in life. By the end, he's going, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm going to heaven, and thereon, as Jonathan Edwards put it, a frozen plank over the fires of hell. Think about that one for a while. It'll make you happy. In intercession, we participate with God. Intercession puts us on God's team. 
As we know the plans of God, as we begin to see the justice, the mercy, the righteousness, the goodness of God, we then pray his will and not our own. Intercession, often we start with my will, my will. But as we process, God changes our heart and makes us a participant. So we're saying, all right, Lord, where do you want me to stand? What is my place in your will? Through Abraham, we see what intercession looks like. Abraham welcomed the Lord into his home and received his promises. Abraham could be bold in prayer because he knew God's character, that he would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Intercession starts with knowing God and his will. As we spend time with him, we gain his perspective in his heart and we can pray accordingly. Our prayers are powerful and effective because we pray knowing who God is and how he desires to work. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at the power of intercession as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.